Matthew 13. And now, if you missed last week, don't um, don't worry. This is this is completely different. But do you remember last week I talked about the key of prophecy and the parables? Remember last week? Can anybody tell me what the key was? The two. Two kingdoms, the two sons, the two sticks, the two, two kingdoms, the nations, sisters, and so on, remember? And that key for the separated kingdom of Israel, right? Northern and southern, remember that? Okay, so in these, we're going to, there's um, seven parables. And as I said, look, I'd come. I was glad to see everybody else starting to come in. I thought, well, we've only a small number. And then we started singing, everybody came in. I was going to have a prayer meeting. But I thought, you know what, I'm going to go with the Bible study because there's only a few here and maybe people won't want to pray, so we'll have a Bible study. But then everybody filed in. So I'd already said I was going to have the study, we'll have it. Uh, Matthew 13, please. And notice, we're going to look at more of these parables. So bear with me while we read quite a bit, stop, start, and so on, and go other places. In Matthew 13... Um, the parables of the Lord in this chapter, there are four parables that Jesus speaks on the shore line. He's outside on the shore. And then three, he's inside in the house in this chapter. So the four is on the shore to the multitudes that are there with his disciples also, obviously, but the multitudes that are there. And the next three are the revelation or the key given to them in the house. Okay? So let's read from verse 1, and we'll see how we'll, we're not going to mention all of these parables, but there's a couple in particular, two or three, I want, to, I want to show you tonight. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. Great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now note the language. A sower went forth to sow. And when he had sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside. And the fowls came and devoured them up. And some fell on stony places where they had not much earth. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. Others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Now notice what he says to the multitude. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Not everybody can hear the word. Simple, isn't it? Preacher from the pulpit, preacher in the street. They hear with their ear, but hearing with their inner ear, their spirit, not everybody can hear the word. And Jesus was the same. He's preaching and he's saying, if you can hear, listen. And people are starting to be transfixed on him, but if words we would use, transmogrified at the word, what is this stuff? Now notice. And his disciples came and said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Now here's the thing. From last week, 
we started to find out those mysteries, didn't we? We started to find out more about the key that opens up the mysteries. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. That sounds like election, doesn't it? For whoever hath, to him shall be given. And he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing not, and not hearing, they hear not. Neither do they understand. Shows the, the deadness of the heart of men. We were on that on Sunday night, weren't we? I will. Notice this, and the names fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, or Isaiah, which saith, By hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and shall not perceive. In other words, you will hear with the ear, you'll see with the eye, you won't be able to take it in or understand it. Why? Because God, I'm just going to say it because some people can't accept that God has a certain amount. God has a people. God gave a number to his son. And except the Holy Spirit quicken any of us, none of us would be saved. Has to be by the Holy Spirit. Now every one of us are as dead as the next man or woman. We're in sin as the next man or woman. We're lost as the next man or woman, and only by the Holy Spirit can we start to hear the word, understand the word, and be able to behold the Lamb of God who bears away our sin. Notice, for this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. Notice, but blessed are your eyes, for they see and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which ye see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which ye hear and have not heard them. In other words, you, you, you're actually in the realm of what the prophets prophesied of but couldn't fully grasp and understand it themselves. So you and I, on the post side of Calvary, post-cross, under the blood of Christ, you and I, no more than the prophets. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? We have seen the revelation of this kingdom. And we are in it. We've seen more. So then he goes on. Verse 16. The blessed are your eyes. Oh, sorry, verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sword. So he starts to talk to them. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth that away, that which is sown in the heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. And he that received the seed into the stony places, the same as he that heareth the word and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath not rooted himself, but dureth for a while. And when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, and by and by he is offended. In other words, he's a shooting star. You're Church is full of shooting stars. Isn't it? Look at somebody gets saved and they're going on, boom, it's like a shooting star across the sky and they're away and died out before you've turned around. Salvation and walking with Christ is not a sprint, but it's a marathon. 
That's the hardest thing to learn, you know. I'll be honest. It's the hardest thing for me to learn. I want a marathon every day until I get worn out, burnt out, and I shut down nearly at times. I'm like, Lord, help. It's a marathon every day. Notice. Uh, verse 22 he also that received the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful how many people have you seen that happen to they get into I've seen people and they've asked me would you pray that I get this, this job and they got the job and it ended up it choked them they didn't come back to the meetings and they starved themselves of the word and they ended up falling away Just use that for an example. There are many others, obviously. Verse 23, And he that received the seed into the good ground. See, if you read the other uh, uh, corresponding Gospels, especially in Mark, we'll maybe look at it in a moment. See, whenever you you read this, they talk about being the false on good ground. I like Matthew's account for false into. Into. Not just on. And he that received the seed into the good into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some sixty and hundred. Pardon me, bringeth forth some and hundred, some sixty, some thirty. So Jesus explains this parable, and as he saying this, if you read through Matthew thirteen, here's what happens: it looks like the kingdom of God is a failure. What one and four? One and four. Of those parcels of ground. And as you read on, not everything is brought in on the dragnet as you read on. And it's only a little mustard seed and it's only a little treasure or whatever. And we'll look at some of them because the key that we have now is going to open these up even into something bigger for you. And as I said, this is just a real skimming the surface summary of what we're going to do. And it's all off the top of my head, so forgive me, because if you see me looking at the sky, I'm not praying, I'm trying to think. Well, I am praying as well. I say, Lord, where's that scripture? Help me here. Notice this. Verse 24. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. And when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field from whence hath it tares? He saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest, and in the time of harvest I will say unto the reapers, Gather ye to gather first the tares. Notice that. Gather ye gather first the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Now, there's another doctrine there I'm not willing to go into tonight. Because the doctrine of rapture or secret rapture says we're away. But here he says they're bound up first, the wicked. The wicked's bound up first. And the wheat are gathered into the garner. So when we look at this, it looks like 
when Jesus is speaking, well, what's the opening of this one, this, or the, the revelation of this one about the enemy sown among the wheat? Look at verse, let's go to verse uh, 37. Let's go to verse 36. Then Jesus said on the, sent the multitude away and went into the house. Notice now he's in the house. Remember the seaside? Now he's in the house. And his disciples said unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. So he's speaking of himself. The field is the world. Now, good seed are sown into the world. Remember what the kingdom of the kingdom was last week? The house of Israel being scattered in the world. Remember, through the nations. That's the good seed. That's the good seed. Mark chapter 4 if I get this wrong, we'll just not look at it, but I'm trying to remember it off the top of my head. Okay. Yes. Okay. Mark 4 was right. Praise God. And, okay, so he talks about a sore going to sow. We will not read it all for time's sake in verse 3. By the way, say the stony ground among thorns, good ground in verse 8. And then in Verse 14, the sower soweth the word. And then he says, these are by the wayside. Again, he gives what we had read in Matthew 13. He tells them here, if I can just find the right one. Yeah, okay. Verse, let's go from verse 14. The sower soweth the word. Now, what is it he's sowing? Seed, isn't that right? And what is the seed then? Is the word of God, isn't that right? Now that's in conjunction with the first parable we read. So the good seed, let's put it like this, good seed is the word of God. In the second parable, Matthew 13, okay, he's sowing again. Matthew 13, if you go back to it. Verse 24, another parable put he forth unto them and says, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. So the first parable of Matthew 13, we're told he sows good seed, which falls into the four parcels of ground. The second one is then being developed in verse 38. And he answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The field is the word. Now here's where the good seed is the second time. Verse 38, the field is the word, world. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. Now hold on a minute. See, there's two seeds now. Yeah, one is the word of God. And the other one is the children of the kingdom. Who are the children of the kingdom? Israel. <laughs> the house of Israel. The northern kingdom well, as we know, were taken away captive and then the southern kingdom of Judah went into Babylon. The northern kingdom were taken away captive and God scattered them westward through the nations. Okay. So now that we've all, we understand what the field is, the world is not right. So let your eye run down. We'll not read all of that. Let your eye run down to verse 44 of Matthew 13. Again, 
The kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field. Now notice that. Where's the treasure hid? In a field. What is the field then? It's the world. So there's a treasure in the world or in the earth. Isn't that right? So now we have to find out about the seed, the scattered, the people they are in the world. Exodus 19 for me. Let's go. Remember law of first mention? You remember we looked at that last week? Exodus 19. This is the law on this, on this particular issue now, this word. Law of first mention. There are other mentions of treasure, but I'm talking about in this context, okay? Exodus 19. Now, in Exodus 19, if you, every time you read this chapter, here's what you do, and it'll really help you, okay? Every time you read Exodus 19, Israel have come out under the blood, baptized through the sea, as it were, under Moses, under the cloud, come out the other side, and they've had, if you want to call it, a Pentecostal meeting on the other side with their timbrels and tambours, and they're singing and dancing for God's glorious redemption and deliverance. So on that side, they're walking out the other side into the wilderness, and now they're at Mount Sinai. And what happens? Exodus 19 is a marriage ceremony. So now get marriage ceremony in your mind as we read some of this, okay? And Moses goes up the mountain. It says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, which were come to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and were there, and, and there Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt I say unto the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. What's the difference between the house of Jacob and the children of Israel? Well, really, not a lot. But one speaks of Jacob in his own nature. And the other speaks of Jacob who's changed to Israel and his new nature ruling with God. Okay? The sons of Joseph, remember Ephraim and Manasseh? Remember I told you about those last week? Well, they're added on. So the house of, they're still Jacob's lads. And then they become Israel. So now we're looking at them what God says, I have made another covenant with Jacob here. He'll rule with me. His people will rule with me. Now I notice... And Moses went up, oh sorry, verse 4. Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure. Notice the word. You see it now? Jesus is talking about a treasure, isn't he? You will be a peculiar treasure unto me. And look, we have to be honest here. This is what the scripture says, above all people. We hear God has no favorites. Yes, he does. He says in the book of Amos to the house of Israel, oh, he's speaking to all of Israel, he said, he's speaking to them, it's about Israel, he says, you only have I known, that is in an intimate way, of all the families of the earth. We're told also uh, uh, when the Lord was bringing Israel out of Egypt, it says he put a difference or made a difference between Israel and the Egyptians. The word tells us that. He says, Jacob, have I loved, and Esau, have I hated? There's another one. 
I, I, I understand where people are thinking and coming from in that sense, but we have to be true to the scripture and what it says. We just can't. Because somebody said it and it sounded good, or we've learned it and heard it and haven't researched it. But yeah, God says here, you're be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Notice that. So there's a treasure and the earth or the world if you want, okay? And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. Notice that. And a holy nation. These are the words which, I, which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Now notice, here's the wedding ceremony. Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before their faces all of these words which the Lord had commanded him. And all the people answered together, and said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses returned to the, the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come to thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. And Moses told the words of the, pe- of, told the, words of the people unto the Lord. Now you read that when you go home. Moses is officiating the marriage. He comes as the officiate. He says, the Lord says, will you be his bride? You be his people. He'll be your God. He'll be your Ishai. Your Ishai means your husband in Hebrew. We will do all. He now goes and he says, they said they will. I do. And they're married and they become known as the wife of Jehovah. The bridal people. Okay. So you can read all that when you go home. And then remember when God comes down, he says, sanctify yourselves from the third day I'll come down upon the mountain. What was he doing? He was signing the register, the wedding register, and consummating the marriage. You see it? So read that when you go home. Okay, so, staying with the treasure. See if I can remember this one. Psalms 135. 135. Or is it 3-7? Okay. You think it's 135? I'm looking for the verse. Yes, okay. Was it? Verse 4? Who said that? You, Jeff? Good one. Was that you, Laverne? Good one. Okay, look at verse 4. For the Lord hath chosen Jacob unto himself and Israel for his peculiar treasure let's go to Peter first Peter now we're after the cross remember we're part of where I came from last week and I I suppose it was near the end near the end of it remember how God divorces the northern kingdom of Israel remember I showed you that last week I've given words the bill of your mother's divorcement through the prophet. And to keep his own law. And you and I break the laws. Listen, there's people and things just don't work out now well. Their marriage is not. And that's, that's life. We try and keep them together. We try and help. But that's life. And, you know, we, we, we know that there's like, for case of fornication, you can divorce, remarriage and all of this. And, I, and I, we understand all that. And it's for the, Hardness of our hearts, as the, as the Lord says, that Moses had written a bill of divorcement. 
And what happened was, what, I don't want to go into that whole subject now, but when people in the Old Testament, their husbands used to say to their wives, off you go and get out, and they had no bill of divorce. In other words, they were separated. And what Moses says, write them a bill of divorce, and then let them get on with it, their life. That was the difference. And they would then remarry. So many of them were just kicked out of the home, and the women were running about, and they didn't know. They weren't allowed to move, really. Any man showed them they weren't allowed to to be uh, joined to anyone else. And God, to make sure he keeps his law, he then comes himself and dies on Calvary. So when the Lord says, and we quote it all the time, it is finished. What was finished? The debt of our sinless pet, isn't that right? 100%. But here's what else was done. The separation that he was to marry his wife again. That covenant was finished and a new one was to begin. So, has everybody got me there now? Okay. Please understand, there are many people I understand and their marriages have worked out and we love you and we're for you and we believe there's life for you. So don't we believe that you're God's more gracious than anyone else would ever think. So please don't think that I'm thinking any other way. But whenever we, whenever we look at Christ, he kept every law, every single law, because you and I are breaking all laws all the time. So he kept the laws that we couldn't keep. And whenever he died and rose again, it meant God could remarry us. When you go to First Peter, First Peter, notice what he says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered. Know who that is? That's the good seed, the children of the kingdom. That's scattered Israel. Peter's writing to scattered Israel, to the strangers who are scattered. They were strangers, as Paul would write, to the commonwealth of Israel. They've been scattered away. They'd lost themselves. They had become gentilized, if you want. They were getting on like the heathen. They'd lost their track of who they were and what they believed and the God that they followed and served. They'd become heathenized over all of the years, migrating westward. Mainly, mainly. And so God says, oh, in the old prophets, I'm going to send forth fishers and hunters. Do you remember last week I showed you that? Jeremiah 16 and verse 16. God says, I'm going to send for fishers to fish off them, hunters to hunt after them. And what happens? He's on the beach and he walks along the beach and he says, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. That's why he done that. I want you to hunt out my people. I want you to go after the good seed of the children of the kingdom. What will we take with us, Lord? Don't take purse or script. Take the good seed of the word of God. That's what he says. It's coming together now, isn't it? So, Peter's writing to the strangers scattered. 
and Pontius, Galatius, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect. Where's that word? It's those who can see in here. According to the, what is the word? Foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctification of the Spirit unto the obedience of the sprinkling of blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Now listen. Here is the gospel being sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Some of them have been converted to Christ. They're now realizing we're in this new faith. That our God has come and died for us. Risen from the dead. And he's coming back to marry us. Peter's writing now. And he's starting to encourage them in their faith. Go to chapter 2. In fact, let's go to let's go to then verse one or chapter one, and, and we we know this so well. And remember, this is scattered Israel now. You ready? Verse eighteen. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from the vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers. See, because he's saying you, know, all of that tradition that you came from from your fathers in his ancient Israel, or if you want, ancient. Uh, Judaism or Jewry before that or before they are converted can you see that he's going you aren't redeemed by that you're not redeemed by that but in verse 19 with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish without spot who was verily foreordained before the foundation of the world but was manifest in these last times for you for who? for you Israel (laughs) that's what he's saying so in other words Before the foundation of the world, God, the Father, he looks down through time and he gives us to his Son. His Son in time manifests and dies for us on the cross. Isn't that fantastic? Sheds his blood for us. Why? That we would become his bride. Rebetrothed unto his people. So now, uh, chapter 2 please. And let your eye run down again. Talks about he's a, Jesus is a stone of stumbling, a cornerstone, and so on. Verse 9. Remember Exodus 19, the marriage? Now we did it in this context. Jesus has died. He's going to be rebetrothed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a what? Peculiar people. You know what this means? You're a peculiar treasure unto me. Now, I'll be honest. Sometimes we meet an awful lot of peculiar people, don't we? <laughs> really peculiar. But that's not the sense that that means. Do you know what it means? My own people. You're my own in distinction from others who are not. That's what it means. So now you see they're in faith, saved by grace through faith. They're under the blood of Christ. One time, once for all sacrifice, it's never going to be repeated again. This scattered seed, the seed sown. The good children of the kingdom are the, are the, the seed that's sown. And the ones who are saved at Jerusalem now go with the early church being built. And they go forth with the good seed of the word of God. You see it now? Okay, 
So, notice what it says here in verse 10. Pardon me, let's read verse 9 again. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Where in time past ye were not a people, but now the people of God, which, have not, which had not obtained mercy, but now ye have obtained mercy. Now here's the thing. What are you talking about, Peter? Simple. Go to the book of Hosea. Hosea is the book straight after Daniel. Daniel Hosea. Ezekiel Daniel Hosea. So when you read the book of Hosea, this is one of my favorite Old Testament books. I love it. When you read the book of Hosea, read it with this mindset, okay? You're reading it as God with his wife, Israel, His wife becomes a harlot. He kicks her out of the house. And then he goes to redeem her again. That's what the whole book's about. Okay, That's the main thrust of it. So chapter 1. Hosea chapter 1. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came unto Hosea the son of Bere. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said unto Hosea, Notice, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms, the children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Three times in one verse. You know, this is the third mention, so it's a witness that God said, these people are whores. So Hosea Actually, his name comes from the root to mean salvation. Yeah, uh, you, you have, you know, um, <clears throat> Hosea's being God. He goes to marry a woman. Now, if you can picture, so the Lord in Exodus 19 is married onto Israel. He's watching Israel and all that they're getting up to. All their other idols and their gold and their silver and their, their, da- their bull calves and they're worshipping all of these things. And the kingdom, remember the key is now northern kingdom and southern kingdom. Ten tribes in the north, two, well, three tribes in the county, Levitical tribe in the south. And he's watching this. Now, Hosea is a prophet almost, ex- almost exclusively to the ten tribe kingdom in the north. Most, firstly, well, very little of it is to the south. And God has him to the north. For example, Amos, the book of Amos, he's from the southern kingdom of Judah. But yet God sends him north to go and prophesy unto the house of Israel in the north. Then you have Isaiah. Most of his, his is to the both of them, but most of his is to the south, to Judah. Jeremiah is really to the south because the north are gone by that time. But yet the north is mentioned, but it's mainly to the south, the southern kingdom. So notice this. Hosea represents the Lord, he says... Go and take a wife of whoredom, the children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom. Now, he's not talking about the Assyrians. He's not talking about the Babylonians, nor the Egyptians. He's talking about the northern kingdom of Israel. God is saying, they're like whores before me. That's what he's talking about. And he's not sending Hosea to go and marry another person from another nation around. 
He's saying, go to your own, find yourself a wife. He says, I want to show you what Israel like before me. That's the book of Hosea. Notice this. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, call his name Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. And I will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. That's the northern kingdom. You see God saying, I'm going to cause them to cease. And he did. Verse 6. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God says, call her name Lo-Ruhama. For I, notice, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Now, when we go to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, what did we read? Those who had no mercy now find mercy. Isn't that what we read? This is where it's coming from. You see the identification of it now? Is everybody with me okay? You get that? So this is when the Old Testament, God says, I'm not going to have mercy on you, and he kicks out the house of Israel. Now, after Christ dies and has risen again, shed his blood, Peter post Calvary, he's writing to those strangers who were scattered, and he's saying, the Lord had no mercy, but now you find mercy. Same people. Notice this, verse 7, but I will have mercy, where? On the house of Judah. That's the southern kingdom. Remember the key to open up, Bible prophecy in the parables? The northern kingdom, the southern. I will have mercy on Judah. Why Judah hadn't fallen into idolatry like they had in the northern kingdom yet. But they do, and then they're carried away captive. And will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, nor by horses, nor by horsemen. But when she had weaned Lorahama, she conceived and bare a son. And God says, Call his name Loami, for ye are not my people. I will not be your God. As he says, the northern kingdom. So when Peter is writing to the strangers scattered, they have received the gospel. He says, Look, you were the people God says, I will not have mercy. Now you've received mercy. You're the ones that God says, you'll not be my people anymore and I'll not be your God. And what is it also that we're told that the Lord says, you will, uh, uh, come you from among them, be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing and I will be a God or a father unto you. I will be your God and you shall be my people. Coming from the exact same Old Testament scripture. Now, if they weren't Israel, how would they know what he's talking about? Makes sense, doesn't it? How would they know? So, notice what he says in verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured nor numbered, and shall come to pass that in that place where it was said unto them, Ye are not my people, there it shall be said unto them, Ye are the sons of the living God. So there's going to be a time I'm, I'm going to have mercy, but I'm not having mercy now. That's what he's saying. And then you're going to be called the sons of the living God. Is there anywhere that that is fulfilled? Yep. Go to John's Gospel. See, the Bible speaks for itself, doesn't it? 
John's Gospel, chapter 1. Now remember the derivative, the derivative name of Judah becomes what? Jew. That's where you get the name Jew from. See, Abraham wasn't a Jew. There were no Jews in Abraham's day. He was a Hebrew. So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac wasn't a Jew. There were no Jews. He was a Hebrew. There was no Israelites either. Isaac has Jacob. Jacob wasn't a Jew because there weren't any. He was in Hebrew. His name has changed to Israel. He has 12 sons who become known as the sons of Israel. One of the tribes, one of the sons is called Judah. And that's where we get the name, the derivative name Jew from. Can you see it now? So when you hear some of the preachers saying the 12 tribes of the Jews came across the sea or through the sea on the, and Moses, no, there's no such thing. No such thing. Notice, John 1, verse 10, speaking of the Lord Jesus, he was in the world, the world was made by him, the world knew him not. Verse 11, he came unto his own he came on to Judah, didn't he? The remnant that were there. He came on to the, the Jews. Rejected him, isn't that right? So he came on to his own. His own received him not. And in the Gospels, the proclamation of the Gospel of the Kingdom, he sends forth his disciples, go not into the way of the Gentiles, but rather go down to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Isn't that what Jesus said? So who are they, those who we're speaking of? Notice the next verse. But as many as received him, Christ... To them give he power. The word is exousia for power. It means the right, the license, the privilege, the authority. Which they didn't have before. They had no mercy. To become what? The sons of God. (laughs) To them that believe in his name. Now notice the next verse. Which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You know what he's saying? Look, they were lost, scattered. Gentilized. He says they were, they were cast out, divorced, the northern kingdom. He came on to that section of Judah that were left at Jerusalem and around Judea, and the Jews rejected him. So the other kingdom, listen, he says, other sheep or other sheep of I that are not of this fold, isn't that what he said? But he's not talking about every Gentile there. He's talking about the other kingdom who had been scattered. See the picture of the king now opening it all up. And so there are so many identification marks that we could show. So many of them. But now he's saying, they've rejected me. Now he says, those who have accepted me, they're not born of the flesh. In other words, it's not because you're calling yourself Israel. Because you've lost your mind. You're not my people You've lost your way. In fact, the Lord actually speaks through the prophets and he says, I will hedge up their ways that they don't know who they are. There's none so blind, he says, as my servant Jacob. I'm sure that's who we are. Blind. 
And so when he comes, to, when we come here, John says, we're not born of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What happened? In the book of Hosea, we'll not, or, yeah, we'll not turn to it again, but in the book of Hosea, in chapter 6, let me check and I'll read it, you'll like to see it, if it is. No, I can't remember what verse, no, I can't remember what chapter it's in, but I'll find it and I'll tell you about it another time. In the book of Hosea, the Lord says, I will bring her, the northern kingdom, into the wilderness. What wilderness? The wilderness of the scattering to the west. And I will speak comfortably unto her, he says. What is the comfortable words? The gospel, saving grace. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so in the proclamation of the gospel, there's other people hear it. Start claiming Christ as their own. You see now why the whole plan is to reach others. That through that, Israel was the vehicle that God used. We were the vehicle that God used to send forth the missionaries. To print the Bible. Let me put it like this. In Hosea chapter 6, see Hosea 6, the first two verses. This prophesies of the Protestant Reformation. So the Protestant Reformation goes to where Israel were scattered. Come, let us return unto the Lord. He hath torn, he will heal us. He hath smitten us, he will bind us up. When did you tear us? In the two kingdoms. When did you smite us? You kicked us out of the home. Makes sense, doesn't it now? This is the wife, remember? After two days he will revive us. Well, a day is with the Lord's a thousand years, and a thousand years is a day. Isn't that right? And when we take the dates, look, I've taught this before, I'm not going to, but when we take the dates and we put it into 2,000 years and then touch it into the third day, do you know what date it brings you to? The birth. The very birth day. Or the day of the birth of um, what's his name? Huh? Morning Star of the Reformation. No, it's not Whitfield. No, it'll come to me. I'll take it any other time. Now my mind's went blank. Anyway, it'll come to me. Takes you right to his birth. And the birth comes in. Protestant Reformation comes. He writes the word of God, the good seed that's being sent forth into the kingdom. Right to the very year that he's born, the same year. When you go, when you go, uh, after two days, he raises up in his sight. When you go into, if you want time, Hosea's Old Testament, and it goes right into the third day, the Reformation starts. That shows then the good seed going must go for where Israel went. And where did it go? Right across Europe to where we are. Does that make sense to you when you see that? Um... So let's go back. We're almost finished. Is everybody okay? Yeah. That's doing me and I get that name. 
I, my mind's went blank on it. No, that was a just fellow by faith. That was 31st of October, 1517. Who's John Wycliffe? That's it, John Morning Star of the Reformation. That was right to his birth. Starts to translate the scriptures. And the Reformation with Luther and Johann Hus before that. That all starts coming out at this time. God starts mending the wounds. God starts raising them up in his sight again. The good seed and the good seed. So, in fact, there may be some of them out there on the table if you want to take the CDs of part one and part two of them. Go, go, go with me to Revelation chapter 10. So John sees what you would call in Revelation 10 the prophetic reign of the Antichrist or of Antichrist. The prophetic reign of Antichrist or if you want, darkest Rome. And I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud. A rainbow was upon his head and his face were like as it were the sun and his feet as pillars of brass. Now, this is a vision of the glory of Christ. It's not saying the angel, Jesus is an angel. It says that it is, is a vision of him. Verse 2, and he had in his hand a little book opened. What book is that? It's the open Bible. That's being printed. Let me, let me just read this out to you. Because I actually have this. See that there, look in my Bible. Anybody listening to it can't see it. But see all that there. That's actually, I jot that down, just in case I ever need it for a time like this. Notice the good seed of the word of God going where the good seed was scattered, that it might hear the word and turn again. The strangers scattered abroad. For example, in 1453, the flight of the Greek scholars went into Western Europe. Greek scholars were over by Constantinople. Here's the thing, I mentioned it the other day, and we'll not go into it, but when the scriptures were written in their original forms, you had what was known as two sets, Alexandrian texts, one became known as, and the others became known as the Antiochian texts. Antioch, you read, is the first time Christians were called Christians in Antioch, remember? Well, they were brought up, they, they, those texts were brought up into Antioch, and others were brought down, the same copy, brought down into Alexandria and Egypt. But in Egypt, then you had other, like, uh, Erasmus and different ones. They started to translate the scriptures and change them. And out of those scriptures, you'll get all the other, um, most of the others, yeah, really all the others, one sense, shape, or form, come from those scriptures. That's why I don't read the NIV. That's why I won't read all the other perversions of the word of God. They come from the Alexandrian texts. They're bastardized texts. But the Antiochian texts, then the, the scholars took them over towards the west. They had to flee because of the Islamic hordes coming up around there to take over Constantinople and around that area. So they, what do they do? They take them and they run where they go west. You see, God has told us all of this. Revelation 9 talks about the rise of Islam. Revelation 10 talks about the Protestant Reformation. And when you see that Islam comes over, they take the tax and they run. 
And that was, 1453 was the flight of the Greek scholars into Western Europe. 1454 was the invention of printing in Holland and in Germany. 1458, Greek language was first taught in European universities. 1476, Caxton introduces printing into England. 1516, Erasmus printed his Greek New Testament. 1518, Zwingli printed the first Swiss New Testament. 1522, Luther's New Testament in Germany. Or was in German, pardon me. 1526, Tyndale, his English New Testament and Swedish Bible came out. 1537 was the Bible in Danish. 1539, the great Bible placed in every church by royal command. That was Henry VIII, if you remember. 1611, then we have the King James authorized version of the Bible. Now, this is the little book open of Revelation chapter 10. Revelation uh, chapter 10 speaks of the first, the reign of the people Antichrist. And as you go through Revelation, you'll see the rising from the, uh, the pagan room into papal Rome as well. And then when we look at John Huss, John Huss, not John, not, not his name means. Does anybody know what Huss means? Goose. Exactly, Jeff, goose. So you know the old saying, your goose has been cooked. That comes from John Huss being burned at the stake. And when is the people of John Huss, the follow John Huss, way before Martin Luther, Alice and I have been over to research around where Huss is. There's big statues of him in Prague to this day, uh, reminding themselves of him. And we've been in this. Well, his church is like a hall now, and there's a wee bit of his pulpit there, and there's bedrooms still there. I've been up around there and I sat the wee windowsill and thought, by the John Huss sat here. And he was told that they weren't after him anymore because he had the flea and he came back, and the Roman uh, Romanists took him and burned him at the stake. And while he was burning, one of the Ger- Germans, one of the Romans said to his people, your goose has been cooked. That's where that saying comes from. So in Renaissance paintings, you'll see maybe women, you'll see a wee goose here and there. That was secretive to say, we are following the Reformation or we are following Christ. That's what that was. You'll see it in some of the Renaissance paintings. Now notice, Martin Luther, um, John Huss in 1415, while he was being burned, prophesied. You thought prophecy stopped with the apostles, didn't you? <laughs> That's what they're trying to say, but I tell you, John Huss prophesied from the stake. And he prophesied of an eagle or a great swan that would come in a hundred years' time. 1517, 102 years to the dot. Martin Luther, whose name means either swan or eagle, stands forth. And he says, the just shall live by faith. It's marvellous, isn't it? You should get in a Bible study that no one's going to do tonight, by the way. <laughs> so, I'll not keep you any longer. So let me finish with this. In 1536, William Tyndale opened, prayed when he was uh, being uh, burned 
He prayed, Lord, open thou the king of England's eyes. William Tyndale. And you know what happened? That was in 1536. In 1539, Henry VIII ordered that English Bible in every pulpit, written in English, so that every man could read it. Isn't that amazing? So when we go to Revelation 10, verse 2 says, He had in his hand a little book opened, and he set his right foot upon the sea, and his left foot upon the earth. Now, I'll not go any further into that, because that'll deserve a night on its own. Go with me to Jeremiah 16. I mentioned it earlier. Jeremiah 16. Verse 16. The Lord says, Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. For mine eyes are upon all their ways, and they are not hid from my face, neither is their iniquity hid from mine eyes. Now notice, fishers to fish, hunters to hunt. Fishing on, la- on sea, hunters on land. Okay, you get that? So across land and sea. In other words, this uh, angelic vision that shows the magnificence, the majesty and of our Lord Jesus Christ has one foot in the sea, one foot upon land, and he holds one, points up to heaven, and another with a book open. This book, he is the ladder, stairway to heaven, remember? Stairway to heaven. He's the one the angels that ascended and descended upon. Now here he is, standing with one finger to heaven, come to earth, an open Bible in his hand, Food on land and a food on the sea. And in the book of Revelation chapter 10, we're told that not only does he do that, but the Lord said he would do it in Jeremiah 16 and verse 16. Can you see it? And what happened? He sends forth the gospel over land and sea. Now I go to Matthew 13 and we'll finish here. There's loads of other references, but... One, I can't really remember at the minute where a lot of them are. Two, it's way over your time. I'm sure you're just going, okay, we've had enough tonight. Okay. Let your eye run down. Verse 43, in that kingdom where there are tares, devil sows tares. Wicked. Wicked people. We don't need to go into that. We all know that. We can see that all around us. But this is our, this is what we have to look forward to. Verse 43. Then shall the righteous shine forth as a sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear that I'm here, he says. Well, who can hear except the Holy Ghost speak to us? None of us. So you and I are hearing with the ordinary human ear. But listen, I don't know about you, but when I read this stuff, my inner man jumps for joy. I understand it. 
The kingdom of heaven is like an unto a treasure hid in the field. Who's the treasure? Israel. What's the field? The world. The which when a man hath found. It's, it's lost now he's found it, right? He hideth and go for, and for joy goeth and sell all that he hath and bad. In other words, Christ died for us. Give all for us. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. And when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let me ask you a question. It is a wee bit of a trick question, but don't be afraid to get it right or wrong, okay? Who or what is the pearl of great price? Anybody want to say? I know you go, I'll say it, and it'll be something different. It doesn't matter if it is, because I'm going to tell you. Anybody want to say? All right, who do you sing in the songs as a part of great price? Jesus. That's not right. But that's what we all sing, Robert. That's what everybody thinks. He's not the part of great price. It's us. Tracy, you know that because I preached that years ago. And you told me how you, you, you got saved that night, didn't you? Suddenly. Yep. Now, I can't go any further. I'm going to, I'm, if I, I'll, I'll just let you know what this is because you'll be here half a night, okay? Don't get me wrong. To me, Jesus is everything. He is the part of great price in that sense. He's more than that. He's everything. He's my life. He's your life, isn't that right? Love him with all our hearts. He's worth more than a part of great price. But that's not what it means. Even though we sing it, don't forget, hymnology is not always good theology. And the pearl of great price, how is a pearl formed or made in, a, in an oyster? Isn't that right? So, do you know what it's made or formed out of? Sand. Do you know why it's made then? Because when sand gets into the oyster, it wounds it. It's grown out of the wounds of an oyster. See? A little bit of sand gets in and wounds the inside of the oyster. And out of that is formed, out of the wound is formed the pearl. Now, the church, the ecclesia, the called out of God. You and me, we are the part of great price. Formed in the wounds of Christ. Make sense now? Because listen, let me ask you a question. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls. Did we go seeking Christ? No. He came seeking us. Who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he all that he had. Did we sell all that we have for Christ? No. Did we? It says, and bought it. Did we buy Christ? Did he buy us? Absolutely. Did he give all for us? Absolutely. Are we birthed out of the wounds of his hands and his feet and his riven side? Absolutely. Absolutely. We are the pearl of great price, and he calls us his treasure. Amazing, isn't it? 
So stop there, we'll keep you here all night.